Once upon a time, there was a young shepherd, a boy after God's own heart. He went from tending sheep to leading armies, from wearing a sword to wearing a crown. He was one of history's greatest kings who committed one of history's most infamous murders. His rise built a kingdom. His fall would tear it apart. As we wrap up our series on the life of David, it makes sense to look at the end of that life. The truth is, no matter how much good David did, no matter how many battles he won or giants he killed, no matter how successful he was as the king of Israel, he still died. We don't like to talk much about death. It's unpleasant, a downer. But there is another reason death is hard to talk about. It forces us to deal with hard questions, Questions like, what will I be remembered for? What will they say about me when I'm gone? Am I accomplishing anything that matters? The questions are hard, but they need to be asked. But for Christ followers, the answer is inspiring, exciting, and set in stone. Our actions do matter. The things we do are of eternal importance. We are part of something beyond ourselves, something even death can't touch. That's why we are still learning about David 3,000 years after his death. He fulfilled the purposes of God for his life. How can we make sure that we are living lives of eternal importance? How can we live lives as men and women after God's own heart? How can we make sure that we become part of a bigger story? God's story. Well, hello. My name is Josh Walters. I'm one of the pastors here at the Long Point campus, and I am excited and honored to be here with you this weekend. I want to welcome you if you're joining us in one of the venues or online or at an off-site campus, wherever you happen to be. We are glad that you are along for the ride. I want to thank uh, Pastor Greg and Pastor Josh just for giving me the opportunity to, uh, to speak this weekend. I can't imagine at this point that they're not as equally as scared as I am. And so I'm excited. <laughs> it's going to be good. Uh, we hear speakers come in all the time and reference just the impact that the leaders of our church have had on their ministry and on their lives. And just wanted you to know, man, it is no different in the house. Those guys hold me accountable to the work of the ministry, but they are as equally as passionate about Josh the disciple. And they are constantly uh, asking me about my walk with the Lord and how I'm doing as a husband and as, as a father. And so just want to give it up for the leaders of the house and say, man, thankful. So thankful for you guys. Honored to serve with you. Um, I want to start off today telling you a little bit about my family. I know you've heard a bunch of stories in the past, but I want to show you some pictures. I've been married for almost 10 years now. My wife's name is Katie, and uh, just a lovely, um, Christ-like, servant-hearted uh, woman, lover to death. We, uh, in that time, we have been pregnant seven times. Uh, you ladies like how we say we have 
been pregnant. She has been pregnant. There's been no we uh, to the carrying of the child. And so in that, the Lord has blessed us with four amazing children. Uh, Anna Jay is our oldest child. She is seven. Uh, when we were pregnant with her, we met a little girl that was named Anna Brett and thought that was cute. Unfortunately, Anna Josh uh, doesn't quite have the same the same ring to it. And so Katie always called me Jay for short. And so Anna Jay is what we went with there. Our second daughter is six now and her name's Abigail, which, which literally means a father's joy. And she is very much that just a strong, nurturing, uh, sweet girl. Never imagined that we would be the family that had all of our children's names start with the same letter. Uh, I grew up next door to a family with five boys and all of their names started with T. And I always knew I would not be uh, that family uh, until we had our two boys and we were just kind of on a roll. And so uh, Abel and Asher are their names. I also never would have imagined if you saw that picture uh, that our family would be wearing so much coordinating plaid in a family <laughs> picture. <laughs> so, but life happens. You know, what do you do? I don't know. Uh, we're just trying to be obedient, though. Uh, the Lord said, be fruitful and multiply, not add. And so we're just building the kingdom, you know, trying to help him, <laughs> help him build his church. And so love my family. Excited that you got to uh, get to know them a little better this morning. Let me pray for us and we will get started. Father, we thank you so much for this time and I'm excited uh, for it, Lord. I just want to bring myself before you, God, and, and acknowledge that uh, this word is nothing apart from your spirit uh, alive and at work in our hearts. Um, I'm thankful, God, and confident that you have a purpose for each of our lives, Lord, regardless of whether uh, we see that now or not, what kind of season this message may, may find us in. I'm confident that he who began a good work in us will complete it. And so we just claim that this morning. I pray that your spirit be in the house and speaking to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. For the last 12 weeks, we've been in a series where we've been looking at the story, at the narrative of David. We've seen many of these successes and experiences and failures that have made for the rise and fall of one of Israel's greatest kings. From his days as a shepherd boy, when the Lord delivered him from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, to when he defeated Goliath, to when he was the king over Judah and ultimately over Israel. Uh, it's easy for us to look back over the last 11 weeks and see that God had a purpose and a plan for David's life. But I can't help but wonder if at any point in the story of David, in the narrative of his life, if he had a clue as to the role that he would play in the saving and restoring and redeeming of God's people. He had been anointed uh, when he was a young boy, so he knew that God had a plan for his life. But did he know the purpose that he would play in God's redemptive story? Have you ever been at a place in your life where you've been struggling with God? What is your, what is your purpose for me? Maybe you've been in a job a whole lot longer than you would have imagined you'd been, and you're asking, God, why am I still here? Or you've been in and out of a relationship that you really maybe thought was the one, and it's just not working out how you thought it would, and you're saying, God, what is the purpose here? What is your plan for me? When I was in college, there was a, a homeless man that lived in downtown Columbia, and uh, he was a Vietnamese guy. And every time I saw him, I sensed the Lord telling me, stop and talk to this guy. Stop and talk to this guy. He kept all of his possessions, clothes and books and things, kind of in a tightly bound roll around his waist. It looked like a, a tire under his sweatshirt uh, kind of deal. And so every time I saw him, since the Lord prompted me, stop and talk to him. But for some reason, there was always a reason that I couldn't. I was late to class or late to work or late to pick up Katie. 
He's sensing a theme here. Well, I've, I've grown up, but things have changed a little bit, not quite as late, but always had a reason that I couldn't. And one day I was passing him, since the Lord say, stop and talk to this guy. And kind of my default went up. Well, I don't have time. I got, I got to do this. And the Lord was like, no, you're not doing anything. You know? So I turned the car around, parked the car, went and took a seat beside him on a, uh, on a bench and just said, hey, you know, my name is Josh. I uh, just want to introduce myself. Have you, have you eaten any food today? You know, I, I got a car here. I would love to you know, take you, we could go to, if there's a place you'd like to get food, your favorite restaurant, we could go grab a bite to eat. And, and it's starting to get cold out. Uh, do you need a, do you need a jacket? Do you need some, some new shoes or clothes? I have a few things, but I'd love to take you to get some stuff if you needed, you know? And so at this point, it's been about two months worth of the Lord kind of prompting me. And so I'm kind of expecting the heavens to open, uh, maybe a dove to descend on the two of us. Uh, at least this guy to just break down so that I would know the reason for this like God-ordained appointment. Uh, but instead, nothing. He, he didn't even look at me. He didn't even talk to me. In fact, at one point, he kind of shooed me away. <laughs> and I was like, what is the deal, Lord? And so finally I said, well, listen, I just feel like God wanted me to pull over and tell you that he loves you. So much so that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. And all you have to do is confess your sin, give your life to Jesus, ask his spirit to come and live in your heart, and you can have a relationship with God through Christ. Well, he didn't respond. Again, he still didn't look at me. And so I said, listen, I'm going to be praying for you. I'm going to stop by and talk to you in about two weeks just to check up on you. In that time, if you have any questions about what I said, or if you realize you need some clothes or you want some food, you tell me when I come back and, and, and I'll hook you up. And so... I left and went and got in the car, and I wasn't mad at God. I wasn't frustrated, but I was definitely confused, asking God, what was the purpose of that? Because I was certain that I was doing what the Lord had asked me to do. And so as I was pulling out of my parking space, this guy walks up to my car and, you know, knocks on my on window. So I put the window down, and he said, hey, man, were you just talking to that Vietnamese guy? What's up with him? What's his story? I was like, I don't know. He wouldn't even talk to me. I just feel like I was supposed to pull over and tell him that God loves him. And so much so that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for his sins. And all he has to do is confess his sin, give his life to Jesus, <laughs> ask his spirit to come and live in his heart, and he can have a relationship with God through Christ. And uh, the guy looked at me, and his, uh, his head kind of went sideways a little bit. And he was like, huh, thanks. You know? And then he kind of walked away. So I was like, all right, God, well, maybe... Maybe that was the deal. It was for this guy, not that guy. Okay, well, awesome. You know, that's great. And so I, uh, I pull out of the parking lot, and I, I'm going to meet Katie at a pet store. And this is a side note. Guys, if you are newly married and your sweet new bride starts talking about wanting a puppy, but you do not want a puppy, you draw a line in the sand and say, no, we're not getting a puppy. <laughs> I did not make that decision. And so uh, I'm going to meet Katie at a pet store to get a doggy bed for our new addition. And uh, we're walking through the store, and one of the employees walks up to me and says, Hey, man, did I just see you on Divine talking to that homeless guy? What's up with him? What's his story? I said, I don't know. He wouldn't even talk to me. I just felt like I was supposed to pull over and tell him that God loves him. So much so, he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for his sin. All he has to do is confess his sin, give his life to Jesus, ask his spirit to come and live in his heart, and he can have a relationship with God through Christ. Again, his head kind of goes sideways on me, a little surprised at what I've told him. And he says, thanks, and walks away. Now, I still don't know to this day what the purpose of God was uh, for me in that situation. If it was for me, if it was for the guys that came to talk to me, if it was for the homeless guy, uh, I still don't know. But all that I know is it took a conscious surrender of self and a willingness to walk in obedience to God to bring about any of those conversations. There's no amount of strategic planning or networking or investment that could have brought about any of those conversations. 
I think the same was true in the life of David. From tending sheep to leading a nation, his life was clearly one that was authored by God. There was a purpose for his life. And so the question for us today is this. What if the same God who had a plan and a purpose for David's life has a purpose for yours and mine as well? Now, I realize even in saying that, there's somewhat of a disconnect because David was a warrior king who battled his enemies. You know, and for a lot of us, you're thinking, well, I'm a stay-at-home mom or I'm a teacher. I work on cars. You know, how in the world uh, does this apply to me? But the reality is this, that David was the youngest brother from a poor family. And though he had some incredible successes, he also had some devastating failures. I think if we can step back just a little bit from the story of David's life, from the narrative of David's life, we'll see that the man was a lot more like us than we think. Today I want us to look at a passage that was written approximately a thousand years after David's death by the Apostle Paul. It speaks directly to the purpose of God in David's life. If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and get it out, or if you have a smartphone, uh, if you don't, it'll be up on the screens and it's on the top of your outline sheet. But it's found in Acts chapter 13, verse 36. It says this, when David had fulfilled the purpose of God in his own generation, he fell asleep, was buried among his fathers, and his body decayed. Now, I realize this passage has some tough stuff in it, but think about this. Could anything greater be said of your life that you fulfilled the purpose of God in your own generation? There's a lot of of attributes or titles that people could say of me that would really be uh, very meaningful that Josh was a a passionate husband, uh, that I'm a loving father, that I was a good leader, that I was an amazing athlete. (laughs) Man, I'm waiting for a service to not laugh when I say that. I just want to slide it in there to see see if it can go. But seriously, of all the things and people that we invest our time and energy in that may or may not be eternal, to have it said that you fulfilled the purpose of God in your life would be the greatest accomplishment of all. It would be the greatest goal. It is coming to the end of your days and hearing the Father say, well done, good and faithful servant. So the question for us today then is, well, what do I need to know? What would my my life need to look like? What would need to be different? What kind of things do I need to live out in my daily life to help ensure that I fulfill the purpose of God for my life? I think Paul's comments on David's life here offer us four truths to help us ensure that we fulfill the purpose of God in our lives. The first of which is this. The purpose of God for my life is unique to me and determined by God. I want you to go to the top of your outline sheet and underline, David fulfilled the purpose of God. Jeremiah 29, 11 says it this way. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. It doesn't say it twice like that. I just kind of threw that in there so you would get that he has the plans. Okay. Ephesians 2.10 says it best. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I love this imagery here of us being his handiwork. I like to think of myself as kind of a handy guy. Note I said think of myself as a handy guy. I've never had any formal training. And in fact, until this year, I've never even really had any tools. Uh, It's just amazing what you can do with a hammer and a handsaw. And so this year, 
Katie and I bought a, a new place, and it pretty much had to be gutted. I mean, the flooring, cabinets, sinks, toilets, we had to take everything out. And for a lot of it, you know, I've, I've seen guys do things and tried to learn watching them do it. And I pulled up YouTube videos to kind of teach me how to do different things around the house. Uh, but for the cabinets, I thought, well, you know, I took the old ones down. I know how they were attached to the wall. I ordered the same layout that, that we had on the floor. And so uh, if I took them down carefully, I can put the new ones up. And so my brother-in-law, Nick, was in town helping me, uh, helping me put the cabinets up. And we started about 11 o'clock one night. And uh, we put the first blind corner up and kind of rounded a corner and got three or four cabinets in to where we had made some significant progress. And uh, so I backed up just to see, you know, the work we had done. I was feeling pretty good. And at that point... Uh, though the cabinets were level with the ceiling line, uh, they, they weren't level with anything else in the house. And so uh, at that point, it's 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm nearly crying in the kitchen, and I realize that I am well on my way to making the most expensive mistake of my life. <laughs> for, some of you, for some of you here this weekend, when you, when you hear this passage and when you think about what's going on in your life or how you're feeling about your life, the thought or feeling that comes to mind is, this has got to be a mistake. If I am his handiwork, if he has a plan and a purpose for my life, I'm just not seeing it. And I imagine that the same was true for David. On the day that he defeated Goliath, he was on a road trip delivering sandwiches to his brothers. And in a moment, the trajectory of his life changed. A few years ago, Katie and I uh, were on a road trip. We had bought a car off eBay, and um, we had had to fly to Phoenix to get it. And uh, we were driving home, and we were going down this road that had huge trees kind of on both sides of us. And um, as we're driving up the road, we kind of make this turn, and all of a sudden the landscape just opened up. And uh, as clear as I've ever heard the Lord speak to me, he said, that's how it happens. In a moment, your life can change. It's almost as if a page is turned and what you didn't see coming or didn't know what happened could happen. And so I just break. I'm crying out of no, oh, God. And he's like, what's the matter? What's the matter? You know, God just saw to me. You know, so, uh, but that happened in the life of David. He's delivering sandwiches. And in a moment, his life changed. God used, the Bible tells us in 1 Samuel 18, that David and um, Jonathan, who was King Saul's son, that their spirit became one. Birth that day was a relationship that God would use to, to accomplish in David's life what only he could do. You need to know today that you are not a mistake, that you were formed and fashioned, that you were shaped and molded with a purpose in mind. If you've been in a season of, of waiting or wandering that's gone much longer than you would have imagined, I want you to be encouraged and be certain that he has a plan for your life. He will use all of you, the good and the bad, the successes and the failures, the strengths and the weaknesses to bring about his purpose in your life. So what about you? If the purpose of God in your life is unique to you, what are the things that make up you? What about your, your family background? Uh, that brings about different thoughts and feelings in all of us. Did you come from a, a strong family? Uh, did you go on vacations together? Have a strong sense of, of family identity? Maybe you had a family song. Um, Katie and I, neither one of us are really very musically inclined, meaning that we don't play any instruments, but I can drop a pretty good beat on the table. And so we made up a family rap, um, that I would like to model for you. I'm just kidding. I'm not doing it. Um, we made up a family rap. What about, did you grow up in a single parent home? Did you live with your mom or live with your dad? And how did that impact you? 
Or did you grow up in a blended family? Did you spend time between two homes? All of these things have an amazing impact on our lives. Maybe you grew up in a military family and you traveled all over the country or all over the world. What kind of impact did that have on your life? What about your gifts and skills? What are the things that you can do with near perfection almost every time that almost seem effortless? Um, are you a good communicator? Are you highly relational? Are you a, a detailed, you know, strategic thinker? Uh, my wife tells me that I am really good at organizing the food in our pantry. I don't know how God could use that in the kingdom, but it's one of the skills. And there's not many on the list, so I'm putting it, <laughs> I'm putting it on there. Um, what about the things you're passionate about? Uh, when you hear somebody talking about them, you're quick to jump into the conversation because you have a lot of, of thoughts and feelings about the subject. The things that you love to learn about or to watch or to, to debate and get into. Or what about your life experiences? You may have persevered through a disease or an illness. You may have lost a child or built a business or written a book. Wherever you're from, whatever you've done, considering everything that makes up you, God is sovereign. And he does not waste a situation or a circumstance in bringing about his purpose in your life. I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell them, I am unique. God has a purpose for my life. Very good. Some of you, as you turn to look at your neighbor, you wanted to tell them you are unique. <laughs> You've been thinking it the whole service, but we don't do that. <laughs> that is not nice. All right. So the purpose of God in my life is unique to me. It's determined by God. And it's unique to the place and time in which I live. It's unique to the place and time in which I live. Go to the top of your outline sheet and underline in his own generation. In his own generation. Acts 17.26 says, From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the set times and the exact places where they should live. This means that your street address was known by God before the land that you live on was even developed, that your born on and expiration date were determined by him. For some of you, maybe we should say your, uh, your best if used by date. <laughs> Doesn't sound quite as harsh. The three words that come to mind for me here are resources, relationships, and responsibilities. The resources that we have at our disposal are amazing. Social media is now the number one activity on the web, meaning the number one reason that people get online is to access social platforms like Facebook and Twitter. Uh, amazingly, 80% of people who get on Twitter do so from a mobile device. So we don't even have to be stationary. We can be on the go all over the world, maintaining relationships and influencing people. As I was looking at what makes our times so unique, uh, I learned the fastest growing demographic on Facebook is 55 to 65 year old women. So guys, if that's your market, now is the time to connect. Okay, <laughs> a lot of them online. Um, no, seriously. But what that showed me is that uh, we're quick to say, "Well, this is just a generational thing." You know, this is just young people today. But what that tells me is that our world has changed. The way that we maintain relationships, connect, and influence people has changed. While driving down the road, flying in a plane, or sitting in your house, you can use your phone to pull up any translation of the Bible, commentary from the greatest scholars, or hear messages from churches all over the country. Our ability to, to access and share resources and maintain relationships has never been greater. But as a result, we have an incredible responsibility. An incredible responsibility. 
if you don't agree with me, look at when tragedy strikes in a family or in a person's life. If someone's life is taken suddenly, the first place that we go is Facebook and Twitter to see what were they doing? What, what had their day been like? Uh, what happened that morning? What was he saying? And for each of us, if our Facebook and Twitter is filled with stuff like, man, I hate sitting in traffic, or my kids are obnoxious, or I hate rainy days, you know, then what, the things that we say in just in passing becomes a self-written obituary that are the beginnings, the first lines of our legacy. It's an incredible responsibility. Our, our resources and ability to maintain relationships have never been greater. It's an incredible responsibility. You could have been born in any year at any time. You could have been born in a, in a hut or a hospital or a home. You could have driven home uh, in a carriage or a Model T or a swagger wagon. But God chose this place, this time, for you to be here. My wife's friend Kelly has a blog called My Dot on His Line. And, and I love that because it reminds me that, that he's given me this place, this time, literally this, this dot on his line to experience, one, the abundant life he came to give me, but then also to use me to impact future generations. It also reminds me, though, that I'm part of a bigger story, which is the third point. The purpose of God in my life is unique to me, determined by God, tied to the time and place in which I live, and is part of a bigger story. Go to the verse on your outline sheet and underline, he was buried among his fathers. The imagery that comes to mind for me here is that of a relay race. Surely didn't, uh, David didn't have a clue as to God, how God would use him 28 generations after he died. But while he was alive, he carried the baton and ran as a man after God's own heart. And as a result, his actions have echoed into eternity. In Matthew 1, we find the genealogy of Jesus. And in verse 6, we read, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Twenty-eight generations later, in verse 16, we read, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom, uh, of whom was born Jesus, who was called the Christ. So think about David's actions echoing into eternity. There's so many actions uh, and, and responses of his that come to mind for me here. I see him delivering the sandwiches that day and hearing this angry Philistine defying the armies of the living God. And he goes to Saul and says, What is going on here? I can take him. You know, I, I got this. And, and Saul's thinking, You are a boy. You know, what are you thinking? And David's response to him is, is the same God that delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. I see David running down the hill uh, to face Goliath when he, when he told him, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty. Man, I hear that verse and I'm like, oh, bring it. I love it. I tried it out on Katie last night when she came against me with vacuum and mop and dustpan and uh, tried to sling my stone. She took me out. So um, get into it a little bit too much. I think about David in the wilderness when he was running from a mad king who he was loyal and faithful to that was trying to take his life. David modeled for all the world what it looks like to honor a man even when he doesn't deserve it. He told his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him. David knew that God had a purpose and a plan for his life, but he also knew that it wasn't up to him to turn the page or to bring it about. I think about David's response to his wife's criticism as he was dancing the Ark of the Covenant into the city of David. He told her, I will become even more undignified than this. So many moments uh, that maybe in his life just seemed like moments that continue to bring about life and challenge into my life today that have literally echoed into eternity. 
In each of those moments, though, I see David um, on the run for his life, facing death, hiding in a cave in a variety of good and bad situations. And as I think about our lives and our stories, we can easily become fixated or focused on circumstances or situations and forget that they don't define us, but our reactions to them can not only impact the lives of others, but can echo into eternity and impact future generations. Your lives, your stories, your actions and reactions are part of a bigger story, and they echo into eternity. Lastly, the purpose of God in my life is unique to me, determined by God, tied to the time and place in which I live, and is bound by time. Um, I want you to go to your, uh, the verse on the top of the outline sheet and underline, His body decayed. The ending is certain. Our days are numbered. There will come a point in spirit when I will go and be with the Lord. And at that point, I will no longer be able to be used by him to fulfill his purpose for my life. I will no longer be able to love my wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I'll no longer be able to to raise and shape and mold my children. I'll no longer be able to, to reach the lost, to love and serve my neighbor, to fulfill his purpose for my life. I love David's words in Psalm 39:4. He says, "Show me, O Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting is my life. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Each man's life is but a breath." I think that David had a perspective that we often lack as warrior king. His actions in going against his enemies meant that that lives would be taken. Uh, In going to war, men would die. And so as the leader, he prayed earnestly, God, teach me to number my days, that I would know the value of a day. It reminds me of those of you that have served our country. Uh, My dad was in the military for, in the Marines for a little over 20 years, and he was deployed several times as I grew up. And whether you serve at home uh, or abroad and choosing to serve, you are laying your life down for our country. Death is much more of a, a present reality for you. Death has a potential to be one of life's greatest teachers, but culturally, we hate death. For many of us, that roll-in video was probably the longest you've looked uh, at a cemetery this year. My wife actually uh, was laughing at me and I was, as I was talking to her about this point because, man, I, just, I have a hard time with death. We'll be watching the Surgery Channel uh, or a movie where even you know, death is a possibility and there's blood and stuff and my lips start losing color. I start sweating. I'm getting mad. I'm like, turn it off! Turn it off. Stop it. You know, she's getting closer to the TV like she's, you know, going to learn something and she's closer to it. Um, yeah, I, I can't handle it. A few weeks ago, I ran a, uh, a triathlon with Pastor Chris here from the Long Point campus. And I've never done anything like that. He came up to me and, and was like, hey, Josh, come on, run, run this thing with me. We can do it, man. I'll encourage you. I'll do it with you. Uh, we got this. And I was like, yeah, no, nah, I'm, I'm just not feeling it. And He kept pursuing me about it. Do it for your kids. I was like, come on, my kids? You can't go there. And so finally uh, finally I told him, okay, I would do it. And then he started in on me about the training. Come on, let's run together. Let's bike together. Let's swim together. It'll be fun. And uh, and I just wasn't feeling it. Part of me was thinking like, you're a Walters. You know, you got this. And uh, I don't know where that was coming from. It wasn't true, but it's what was going on inside of me. And so uh, that bought me about a month of not having to do anything. Well, about two weeks out, uh, something in me just switched. And, and I realized there is a date on the calendar, a line in the sand, and I am going to die. 
And, <laughs> and I realized that you don't have, I get winded running up the stairs to put the kids to bed. I was like, you're not going to make it. It's not going to happen. And so from that day on, I entered into what I called a two-week intensive. Uh, I started every single day running, swimming, biking, or doing P90X. Some days, all of them. <laughs> and so thinking, I- I'm going to make this. I started drinking a lot more water. Uh, going to bed earlier, watching what I ate. I, was, I, I had cut out candy altogether. Uh, but I realized that every day mattered because the end was in sight. I knew that any day I decided that I wasn't going to do anything, that I was going to slack off and not work at it, that was a chance that I was taking that I wouldn't be able to finish the race, that I wouldn't meet or fulfill the goal uh, that I had set out. What that means for us today is this. Whether your date is in 10 years, 20 years, or 50 years, we are all going to die. Something about the uncertainty of that date, not knowing when it is, uh, we, we believe a lie in thinking that we can do whatever we want today. We tend to believe that today really doesn't matter. But something about me knowing that I had two weeks, man, every decision that I made was important. For those of us that are Christ followers, what that means is how you respond to your wife on a Monday morning or how you treat your kids when you get home from work. All of your decisions matter. When you come home and don't feel like going to small talk with the neighbor, you're ready to just check out and and be home. But God's calling you to invest in their lives. Every decision matters. So that's what we know about the purpose of God in our lives. It's unique to me. It's determined by God. It's tied to the time and place in which I live. It's part of a bigger story and is bound by time. The question then for us is, what do we do? What what can I start doing in my life to help ensure that I fulfill the purpose of God? Three steps for us. Number one is to live with the end in mind. Live with the end in mind. We have to have a vision for what we want to be said of us when we're gone. When Josh... When Michael, when Greg, when Susan, when Sally had fulfilled the purpose of God for their own generation, they were buried among their fathers and their body decayed. We have to have a vision for what we want to accomplish, what we want to be said of us. David didn't give himself the title, a man after God's own heart, but he chose to live every day as if that were true. I was reading through First and Second Samuel leading up to the message and was just amazed at the number of times that David cried out to God. If he had a decision to make on uh, should we pursue them, will we overtake them, will we defeat them, we see him crying out to the Lord. One time in particular, him and his men had been off at battle and all of their wives and children's and possessions had been stolen. They come back into town and his men just mourn. They break and after a while, their mourning turns to anger and they want to stone David. They're, they're so angry. I just can't imagine the, the tense you know, situation, how critical it was. And so we see David turning to the Lord. God, should we, should we pursue them? Will they overtake them? And what that showed me for David, there's been seasons in my life where I just haven't been walking with the Lord. And then there's been moments of crisis where I've needed to hear him like immediately. But I haven't trained my heart. I haven't trained my ear to hear the small, still voice. So I'm not going to hear him when I'm in chaos. And we see David repeatedly doing that. He was a man after God's own heart. He walked with the Lord. Secondly, take inventory of those the Lord has gathered around you. So the first, live with the end in mind. The second, take inventory of those the Lord has gathered around you. First Samuel 22, 2 says, All those who were in distress 
or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their leader. About 400 men were with him. Now keep in mind, we're not picking a rec league basketball team here. I'm not talking about the tallest or the strongest or the funniest or the people that are most like you. Maybe a a good place to start off would just be in proximity. Who are the people that the Lord has gathered around you in life? If you're a teacher, it may well be the, the other teachers at your school or maybe the children in your classroom. If you own a business, it may well be the people that work for you or the people that you manage. It could be your friends or your family or your neighbors. I love thinking about David in this context. He's on the run for his life in a cave in the wilderness. And um, the Lord gathers 400 people around him, it says, who were in debt, stressed out, and not happy with their place in life. (laughs) You're talking about an emotional and hostile bunch, okay? Uh, I'm not asking you to judge them or to put them in a box uh, or to label them in some way. I'm asking you just to make a list. Identify who are the people that he has gathered around me and then begin praying of these, God, who are you calling me? Who are you asking me to invest in? So live with the end in mind. Take inventory of those the Lord has gathered around me. And lastly, lead where I am. First Samuel 22.1 says, David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. David was running for his life with no position, uh, power, or title to speak of. Yet 400 men gather around him who he was called to lead. For all of us who are Christ followers, we are called to be both sheep and shepherd, to be discipling others and to be discipled. You may be in a season of life where you feel incapable or or discredited or unqualified to lead. But I can't imagine that David didn't feel that same way. If you're feeling like you don't have much to offer, I'm certain as he was hiding in the cave that he felt the same way. But God's word tells us that in our weakness, his power is made perfect. If you're in a place in life where you're feeling like all you have to offer people is Jesus, then be encouraged because that is the best place that you could start. Can you imagine what it would look like if we decided to start living like this today? If 12,000 people decided that we would start living with the end in mind, that we would be more intentional about the people around us that we invest in, and we chose to disciple people and be discipled. We chose to lead where we are. Man, those are the kind of decisions that get me excited. They're the kind that that I believe literally start movements that transform communities that will change lives. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much uh, for this time. And I'm confident, Lord, for each of us that though we may not see it, that we we were formed and fashioned, we were shaped and molded with a purpose in mind. God, that you love us, that you knit us together in our mother's womb, that you numbered the hairs on our heads. So, Father, God, I pray that whatever season of life we find ourselves in now, that we would be encouraged and take heart that you are faithful, God, that you will bring about your purpose. I pray today that there would be a a conscious surrender of self in every area of our life and a willingness to walk in obedience to you. God, if it's a relationship that we're not supposed to be in, if it's a job we're not supposed to be at, if it's a house we're not supposed to live in, whatever it is, God, we just bring all of us before you now and pray that your spirit will work mightily within us. In Jesus' name, amen.